Please turn with me in your Bibles once more to 1 John. 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. This will be our final sermon in this series on this letter of 1 John. This letter of 1 John largely dealing with the topic of assurance or knowing that you know Jesus. Knowing that you know Jesus. And with this final sermon, before we move on to other parts of the Bible, before we move on to other topics and other things that we need to look at, it's important that we see how important assurance is and how important it is for your walk with God. And to neglect this area of your walk with God, dear believer in Christ, is to rob yourself of something so sweet, so wonderful, and so joyful in your walk with him. Many people struggle in this area. You may be here this morning and you may struggle with your assurance. You're not the only believer in the church who struggles with assurance. Many struggle. Many, would, it would surprise you that they struggle. But there are many people who struggle in this area for many different reasons. And we're going to look this morning at this sermon, uh, which is what blessed assurance brings to the Christian. What blessed assurance brings to the Christian. And before we read God's holy and his infallible word, I want to speak to the children for a moment. Boys and girls, does your mommy and your daddy, do they love you? That's good that you know that. But what if... You didn't see that your mommy and your daddy loved you. They do love you. But maybe for whatever reason, you can't see it. Maybe you're wondering, does mommy and daddy really like spending time with me? And if you think, my mommy and my daddy, they love spending time with me. So what will happen that next time you have a bad dream? You're going to run to them, won't you? have a bad dream, you're scared, something goes wrong, you're going to run to your mommy or your daddy. Because why? Because you believe and you know that they love you. If you don't believe that they love you, wouldn't that be very sad? That would be very sad, wouldn't it? But think about your heavenly father. Your father in heaven. If you know, because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that he loves you. He cares for you. He loves to hear your prayers. Won't that make you want to pray more? Won't that make you want to run to him when you're in times of being scared and confused and in trouble? You will, won't you? So it's very important that we know if our heavenly father loves us. And I'm talking about that love found only in Jesus Christ. And that love is only for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Those who have said no to sin, turned away from sin, and turned to Jesus. That he is their only way to heaven. And he, and he alone, is their only way to find a relationship with the Father in heaven. So, I ask everyone here. Do you know that your heavenly father loves you? 
It's very important. Not just puts up with you. Not just tolerates you. Not just he's willing to listen to me. No. But that he finds joy and special love being poured out upon his people. It's very important to know that. Because it will change your walk with him. So as we think about this. And as we think about reasons to run to him. Come to Jesus today. Trust him. That you may find joy and know that you know him. That you are his child. So 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 13 to 21 of God's holy and infallible word. 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 all the way down to the end verse 21. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. We know That whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Have you ever heard the expression, the charis? Or the stick. The carrot or the stick. Well, if you haven't heard that expression, what does the carrot mean? Well, the carrot is encouragement. It's the positive thing, isn't it? To encourage you to keep going. The stick, well, that's the difficult, painful correction that may at times be needed. But if we're honest, most of us change in our Christian walk out of the carrot rather than the stick. Rewards, the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ, the benefits of being his child. There's the expression that you might have heard as well. You catch more flies with honey. And there's a lot to be said about that when it comes to assurance of salvation. If we don't see the benefits of knowing that we know Jesus Christ, we won't pursue it. 
Because it requires something that's not easy. Us to change. At least changing in our mentality. And it will change how we live our lives. Many of us struggle with change. To go from doubting your salvation to knowing you are saved. That you are loved in Jesus Christ. Tell me that won't make a difference to your walk with him. It will. It's a wonderful thing. It brings wonderful peace. It affects our prayer life as we're going to look at in this text here this morning. It affects how we view other believers in Jesus Christ. We feel more connected with them. And it affects how we understand. You see, this book is not just about the intellect, is it? It's not just about how smart we are or how many years we spent in school. It's about spiritual understanding. Yes, we use our minds, but we also need our hearts as we come before the text of Holy Scripture. Understanding more and more as we're closer to God. Some of the smartest, brightest people on this planet do not understand the things that are expressed here in this text this morning. Why is that? Because their hearts are hardened. We prayed this morning that as we grow in our understanding, we see the danger of idols in the last verse. May you know this morning the blessings of knowing that you know Jesus Friends, true assurance is a little taste of heaven. It really is. We pray that you all experience it at some stage in your walk with him. So number one, our first point, we're going to look at three points here this morning, but our first point is communion. Communion. What happens when we know of the love of Of the Father for us. If we're sure that he truly actually loves us. Not just in a general love that he has for everything. But a special, saving, redeeming, delighting love that he has in Jesus Christ. As he said to Jesus Christ, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. That you are one of those who the the Father is well pleased to be in his presence. It brings confidence, doesn't it? And it brings confidence as we pray that our prayers will be heard. It says in verse 13 and 14 of our text, These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. John is giving the purpose of writing this letter. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 14. Now this is the confidence or the boldness or the reassurance that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. He hears us. Only believers will be heard by these prayers. Only believers really listen. And it's important, isn't it? Those of your parents will know this, I hope, that it's so important when your children come to you or anyone comes to you and to tell you something 
that you really listen to them. It helps the relationship. It, it's essential to a relationship that you put down the phone, you put down the newspaper, you put down whatever you're doing, and listen. You have, they have your undivided attention. What did they do at school that day? Ask them questions. Because if you don't listen to them for the small things, they won't come to you for the big things when they're about 18 or 19. The serious things when they really need help. And this means so much to your children, doesn't it? When you sit down and listen to them, really listen to them. It brings them confidence to to tell you what's going on in their lives. That you will be there when they need help. There are people you know when you're in trouble. They listen. They will ring you when you're sick. They'll ask you. They'll ask about that person in your family by name. Why? Because they care about you. They care about your family. And you can see that through their actions over time. You feel you can go to them in times of difficulty because they listen. They hear. What happens when we know God loves us? Well, having gone through this letter of 1 John, we have discovered what a true believer looks like and what an unbeliever looks like. There's a big difference between them. Someone who loves God, loves his people, loves God's law and follows it. And 1 John is very clear that if that is you, however we do sin, but if that is you, you have been saved. That the Father's special love has been poured out upon you in Jesus Christ. That he delights in you, not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ. He delights in you. Verse 14, once again. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. God doesn't put up with us, his people. God doesn't think we're annoying him. God isn't pestered by our constant petitions, though they may be repeated at times. Because God is not like us that way. He never gets tired of our prayers. He loves them. He absolutely loves them because they come in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ's righteousness is what, described in the Bible, a sweet aroma, pleasant smell before the throne of God. So we see believers. What does God think of our prayers, of your prayers here this morning? Do, we, do you ever have these moments when you're praying, you wonder, can anyone hear me? Am I just talking to myself? We need to be reassured, don't we? That Jesus is the one who is pleasing before his Father, and so in through him, if we're trusting in him alone, the Father hears us. If we pray anything, according to what? His will, according to what is pleasing before him. 
So if we pray for the glory of the Lord to be advanced throughout this town, would he not answer such a question? Yes, he would. He listens. And that brings us confidence if we believe he loves us. A boldness which will increase our fellowship with God. It will increase our communion with God. Why would it not if we're believers in Jesus Christ? Loving communion. Loving fellowship. That's the carrot, isn't it? What I'm saying here this morning, what God's word is saying here this morning, you are robbing yourself of that wonderful privilege here to know Christ's love for you. To commune with him. What does it mean, what communion mean? Well, communion means sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. There are things we should be able to share with God that we do not share with other people, isn't there? Our relationship with God is so close and so intimate, we can tell him anything. That we would be nearer to God. If we think about the relationship. Sometimes the relationship between Christ and the church is likened to a marriage. In marriage if you see the love of your husband or your wife for you. What does it do? It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to communion. It's an encouragement to fellowship. If you see the love of your spouse. One toward another. Maybe you've had a disagreement. Maybe you've had a bit of an argument. And you've fallen out with your husband and your husband brings you flowers. Well, that will encourage, won't it? A bit of conversation afterwards. Even though you might not have been talking to each other before that. Or maybe he cooks your favorite meal or your wife does that for you. But you know that. You see in actions... The love of your spouse. And it encourages you to communicate. Why would we stay away. If we know about the love of the father. And the fact that he hears us. Dear friends. It will help you. In your communion with God. It will help you in your relationship with God. Because if you don't see his love. If your eyes are closed to his love. Even though it may be real for you. You may be a believer. A sincere believer. Who sincerely struggles. There are people who sincerely do struggle. Your relationship all the same can become cold. You can be a sincere believer. But come away from the Lord. For periods and seasons. May we see his love. That it would change us. May we see his kindness. It will change us. May we see his mercy. It will change us. And if our relationship with him changes. It will change us. What concerns you here this morning? What robs you of sleep? What worries you? What robs you of your appetite? What puts that pit in your stomach? What makes you nervous about the future? Have you prayed to God for these things? Whatever they are. Do you go to God with them? Because if we don't go to God with them. We will with our own ways and means. Try to solve it ourselves. With our own ways. 
And we're not as wise as God. We're not as powerful as God. Bring these concerns to God. Come to him, dear believer, that through this blessed communion, you may find joy in prayer that you never knew possible before. So communion is number one. That's number one. Number two now, compassion. Compassion. In this greater communion and prayer with God, which comes out of knowing that you know Christ, it will also bring a greater compassion for believers in Jesus Christ. Other believers, when they fall specifically into sin. In verse number 16 and 17, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. This is a difficult passage. This is, you read this and you're wondering, what is this saying? And this can be confusing when you read through it. But there's something very clear and concrete in this passage. What do we know from the passage, from this text of scripture? There is a sin leading to death. It's a very specific sin. Not everyone commits this sin And the original language has the sense of an ongoing way. But John wants to make very clear, all sin leads to death. But this is very, very specific. So this must be a very specific kind of death. Eternal death. Someone not forgiven of their sins before God. Now, all sins, and John is making this point here, all sins, all unrighteousness is sin. But there's a specific sin he's talking about here. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 1.32, Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. The wages of sin, Romans tells us, is death. So all sin leads to death, but this is a very, very specific sin leading to a very, very specific type of death because we're all going to physically die one day. So something marks this out as being different. Something's different about this. So what do we have? A particular sin leading to particular specific death. Now I want us to think about this. What sin stands out in the Bible as not like the others? There's one sin that is actually said that there's no forgiveness in this world or in the world to come. Uh, Matthew 12, verses 31 to 32 says this, speaking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Whoever, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit 
it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or this world, or in the age to come. So there's this specific sin, there's no forgiveness for. Now you might be wondering and getting nervous now at this moment and thinking, have I done this? Friends, if you are worried about this, it's not talking about you. If you're worried about this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're, because of the fact that you're convicted right now, means the sin is not what you are committing right now. We all sin, but not the specific sin. If you have no care about sin, if when you hear the gospel, you start blaspheming the gospel, this is when it does. What do I mean? What sin carries no promise of forgiveness? Think of serious sins. What about adultery? Is there promise of forgiveness to all those who come to Jesus Christ? Yes, there's forgiveness. Is it drunkenness? No, there's forgiveness promised in Jesus Christ. Homosexuality? No. There's sins that have forgiveness. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 11, saying of drunkenness and homosexuality and other things, such were some of you. But you are washed. That means you're no longer those things. What about murder? The apostle Paul, serious sin, uh, tormenting the church. There's forgiveness for those who have committed murder. So you say, well, what is it? What sins shuts the door of heaven to all who do this? Unbelief. A hardness of heart against the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Hardening your heart against the message of the gospel. Refusing to trust Jesus. And actually when you do that, you will Fight against it and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees did as much. Such a one will have no compassion for his brothers in Christ. So he's not speaking about those. Who who is he praying for? He's praying for those who have not committed this specific sin. But he's saying to believers, you will have compassion for a brother A brother who has fallen into sin, that concerns you. You see somebody falling into particular sin, you wish to pray for them. That's compassion. You love them. We're not talking about public embarrassment here. We're talking about sin against God. See, what will happen with a believer if they fall into sin? Why why is John writing about this? If a believer falls into sin, what will happen? They will have, they will lose assurance if they fall into a serious sin. And another believer, another brother, will wish to pray for them. Verse 16 If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. So, those who are believers, we pray for them, and the Lord has given us a special promise here. He will give him life for those who commit sin. He will help them. He will bless them. 
So be encouraged to pray for believers who fall into particular sins. Our confession of faith in chapter 18 says this. It says, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation. Divers ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted. As by negligence in preserving it, by falling into some special sin. A true believer may fall into some special sin. He won't remain in that sin, but we can do all sorts of things as believers and still be believers. But he's saying, I do not pray for those with that specific sin mentioned here. We should still pray for other people and for their salvation, but this is not what the text is speaking about here. Sin will drive you away. And when you have tasted of that blessed assurance, you know how wonderful it is to know that you know Christ. And you see another brother falling into a special sin. You pray for that person. Why? Because you know that it will rob them of assurance. You know that it will rob them of that blessed peace. And you want them to know that blessed peace. Verses 18 and 19 point out what's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Verse 19, we know we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's a good sign that you're truly born again. If you love them. If your greatest concern for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is when they fall into sin. And you're on your knees. That is a good sign. Pray you have compassion for your brothers. And you know the worst thing in the world for your brothers or sisters in Christ. Is sin. You're not saying that they're not a believer. You're not saying whatever. But you want them closer to God. You want your brother or sister in Christ who you love so much to be closer to God. And to have that same wonderful life-giving assurance that you have. Blessed assurance. If you love Christ, experience of his love, you want others to experience that as well. And to have that compassion that Christ has for those under his care. Our final point, our third point, is comprehension. Comprehension. So we've looked at communion, compassion. Number three, comprehension. What does comprehension mean? I think the boys and girls might know this. When you're in school and you've, you've read something, and at the end of it you've got what kind of questions? Comprehension questions, don't you? Because why? Because they want to see if you understand Do you understand what you just read? And they want to find out. And the school is going to be checking your answers. Ah, this person clearly understood that. Assurance brings us greater comprehension. Understanding of the things of God. Assurance brings us wonderful understanding. Understanding what brings assurance. And also what we just looked at robs us. Of assurance. A believer walks in a certain way. We looked at verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. 
Now again, we've seen in other parts of John, 1 John, that this does not mean perfect living. Uh, even 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 uh, tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10 of chapter 1. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. So we are, we are sinners. We are sinners. But there's a difference being marked out with those born of God and those not born of God. And as you grow in assurance, you're going to grow in comprehension. You're going to grow in understanding of spiritual truths. Do not expect to have assurance if you want to continue the rest of your life as a babe in Christ. It's by growing in maturity that you will get assurance. Now, there are mature believers who struggle in this area too. I'm not saying that there are not. Assurance is not a perfect formula. Two plus two equals four. It doesn't work like that. But the Lord will often keep assurance back from you. Saying to you, believer in Jesus Christ, I want you closer. The Lord is saying you want more comfort. Come to me for comfort. Not the other things. They may be good in their own way, but the Lord wants us to find joy and peace and happiness in God here. Now and today. And so he points out, so there may be a believer, they may have times when they don't have assurance. It doesn't mean they're not a believer. But the Lord will often want to bring us closer to him so that we will walk in a way that glorifies him. It says here in verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The, the world, you see, the world is so different to us. The world is under the control and is, there's, also, there's another way you could translate that second part there. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Or you could also say the, the whole world lies in wickedness. In wickedness. We as believers are never at ease. We're never comfortable in this world. There's always pain and suffering. It doesn't mean we don't have joy. But there are things to endure. Difficulties. We're never at ease in this fallen world. And often the Lord will use things in our lives so that we long more for heaven and for him. So that by being close to him, we can understand that he has set his special love upon you. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure. Do you see that language that the Lord uses of Israel? A special treasure. Imagine someone saying that of you. You're my special treasure. Above all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people, for you are the least of all peoples. There was nothing special. There was nothing numerically, or they were not more impressive to the outside world. They were actually some of the least impressive people. But the Lord set his love upon them. How, do you know, how did they know they were his people? You 
are a holy people. You can't have that confidence that that is relating to you if our lives are completely lying in wickedness as the whole world lies in wickedness. Do you know that this is true of you? And this is growing understanding. It brings a comprehension of the difference between you as a believer in Jesus Christ and the rest of the world. That we will be different. We must be different because, dear friends, the moment this church or any church becomes just like the world, it ceases to be a church. It's not that we just try to be odd and different for the sake of being different. But we will be different. We will stand out. We will stick out like a sore thumb. It's not that we seek to do that, but in following Christ, we do. If we do not seek to grow in our understanding, friends, I, you will forever struggle with the doubts. Are, am I a believer? Am I not a believer? You'll wonder forever. And the moments coming close to your own death will not be sweet moments. It says in, in, in chapter 4, verse 18 of, of 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect fear, perfect love, sorry, casts out fear because fear involves torment. When you get that diagnosis from the doctor and he tells you that you have so, so long to live. I remember a brother in Christ I met a number of years ago. He was told he had only a certain amount of time left on this world. And he could smile at the doctor receiving that news. I said, what a testimony. The doctor couldn't believe it. He was told he had only a few months to live. He knew where he was going. There was no torment as he was coming to his final moments. He had a comprehension that by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Lord would not let him go at any moment. That he loved him. He gave him that understanding. He filled him with that wisdom that, O oh death, where is thy sting? But where does this come from? Where does this understanding come from? The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in, in Psalm 111 verse 10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom a good understanding of all those who do his commandments do you see how understanding comprehension go along with obedience to Christ his praise endures forever Psalm 119 verses 99 to 100 I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation I understand more than the ancients. Why? Because I keep your precepts. <coughs> understanding and obedience, they go hand in hand. <coughs> Do we lack assurance today? Perhaps. doesn't mean we're not believers necessarily. But it may mean we lack wisdom. It may mean, and I say may, that we have a shallow understanding of the gospel. This does not mean you're not a believer. I struggled at various points in my early walk. 
but it drove me to the word. It drove me to spend more time with God. And I thank God for that. I thank God for those moments of struggle. Seek wisdom. What did Solomon, we said earlier, before one of the Psalms, what did Solomon seek? He didn't seek riches for his kingdom. He didn't seek the lives of his enemies. He didn't seek all the things that most kings of the world would look for. He sought for wisdom. He sought for understanding. And dear friends, the more wisdom and understanding the Lord gives you as a believer in Jesus Christ, the more you are likely to have blessed assurance. Again, I don't want to make out that this is like a perfect formula. You do this and everything's fine. It doesn't work like that. Some mature believers struggle at moments. Sometimes it's a personality. Some people are different to other people. But we can all grow. All of us in this area. We can all grow. Verse 21 finishes off with little children. Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. For years when I read that at the end of the book of 1 John, I always thought, why is that in there? That seems a bit out of place, but it's not. Little children, as we finish this sermon here this morning, keep yourselves idols. Why finish the letter with keep yourselves idols? Because idols will rob you. They will rob you. Not of salvation, if you're a believer. They will rob you of assurance. The more idols you have in your life, the more you are likely to doubt that you are a believer. But the more you turn and put those sins to death, the more you are likely to have blessed assurance. Little children, keep yourselves, guard yourselves from idols. Amen.